Hello, and welcome to the House of Legends, where you can hear world myths and legends told by a professional storyteller. I'm your host, Daniel Allison, and this is a special guest episode from the Scottish International Storytelling Festival with Robert Seven Crows Bourdon. Robert um, just gave an amazing performance last night with Tom Muir from Orkney, and he's also been up at the Orkney Storytelling Festival. So I'm intrigued. What did you think of Orkney? Quay, <laughs> quay, how are you? Orkney, wind, 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 and rain, rain, rain. It was very impressive. I come from the east coast, uh, the Atlantic coast of Quebec. So um, it reminded me very much, but the thing that struck me the most, no trees. I live in the forest. So being in a place with no trees, I was completely lost. The storytelling festival, of course, being with Tom Muir is a, is a gift. Tom is hes a fabulous storyteller, but he's a man that's so generous to sharing his culture, sharing his home, sharing his food, sharing his knowledge. So it was, it was a thrill for me to be there. It was an honor to be invited because it's a very small festival and just being there was a, was a pleasure. We told in a lot of small places where we met a lot of local people. So that was exciting also. The venues were small, sometimes 20 people, sometimes 15. So you get a chance to really get to know the people and talk to them and find out what their lives are like. So it was, uh, yeah, anytime they invite me back, I'll go. I'm not surprised. (laughs) (laughs) And did you visit any of the archaeological sites like Scarabray, um, the old village that was unearthed, or um, the, the, old, the tombs such as Mays Howe, or the standing stones, how did you find them? We visited, but it was very quick in a way that they organized a bus tour for us, and we went and visited the storytellers and people from the story on a small bus, and we visited, but it's a place I have to go back. I have to go back and really spend the time to understand, because the Mi'kmaq people, my people in the, on the East Coast, met the Vikings, and our people also met the, um, the different trading fur, fur trading companies. So there's something for me to go investigate and further get further knowledge. Okay. And can you tell us, uh, you told us a little bit about where you're from. Can you just uh, enlarge a bit more on your, well, the culture, the place, the landscape, the trees? Sure. sure I'm a Mi'kmaq. I'm a half-breed Mi'kmaq Acadian. My mom is Mi'kmaq, which is a Native American tribe or nation. And my dad is a mixed-blood Acadian and um, Mi'kmaq. The Acadian people were the first French that came to North America, actually the first citizens of North America, that bred in with the Mi'kmaq people from the East Coast. I've moved from the East Coast. I live now three hours north of Montreal. In the front of the house is a beautiful big river called the Wabosipi. That's the Hare River. And behind is the forest. We live in the bush. We're hunters, trappers. We fish. Um, we're just surrounded by trees. That's why for, for me to be in Orkney and see no trees, it was really, you know, I figured there's no place to hide here from the wind and, and from the rain and that. But uh, yeah, home, home is the forest. The big river in the front of the house. The river is about 300 feet across. It's a river that's very, very wide, sand dunes. So we fish on it all summer, and in the winter we trap in the bush behind the house. And uh, did you grow up uh, surrounded by stories, storytellers? Like, Were you deeply immersed in your culture growing up? When I grew up, the culture was lost because of residential schools. It's a big, his- it's a big, big historical, political 
history of the First Nations in Canada where the government took the children away to whitewash them, to get rid of the language and the stories. So when I grew up, people had no stories, they had no songs, they didn't have anything left. Is when I was a teenager, I went, and not to my people, I went to the Anishinaabe, the Algonquin people, started coming back into the culture. And then I got interested in stories. And then I went back to my people. Went back to a reservation called Gispec, and they gave me a big collection, a big book, a brick, of stories that had been collected by a, um, by a missionary. And when they gave it to me, they said, Adukwawinu, you're the storyteller, but before you tell them, take the church out of them. So many of those stories, we had to reconstruct them because stories are collected by people that don't always have the culture or the codes. So before I could tell them, I had to tell them to the elders and then make sure the stories were okay. But that's how I went back to storytelling. But it was early 20s because before then there was nothing. Sure, that's really interesting. That, um, but that the, the elders there were present, um, who or you could find them who actually knew the stories and could kind of corroborate what you were doing with this book. And was was that mostly the case? Yes, and, and it's funny that they didn't tell the stories because they were so afraid. They were afraid that the Indian agent, who was the, the ruler of the reservation, would hear them speaking the language, or the priest. There was a great fear. So they had these stories left inside them, but they didn't tell them anymore, as were our ceremonies, as were the songs. So many things, you know, for many years, my mom's generation, they weren't even allowed to leave the reservation without a special ticket. So it was like get out of jail, get out of jail card, and you had to come back when that ticket said you should be back. So there was many years where the culture was mummified or hidden. A lot of it was lost, but some of it stayed. We lost uh, quite a bit of it, but I'm finding now with the young people coming back, they're digging and they're pushing to bring it back. We didn't have that luxury, but it's slowly coming back, and now the kids are talking the language. They're learning it in school. They're, they're more educated, so it's harder to fool them. You know, they see everything happening in real time. Now, we get a newspaper, and it's like four days old. So now there's a big change. The kids are out there getting the stories, getting the songs, being proud, dancing at the powwows, doing ceremony. So there's been a big change. And so we're going to hear a story from you. Um, just like to, before we get on to that, can you just say a little about what stories mean to you? Well, I think that people talk about oral tradition, okay? Oral tradition just isn't carrying the stories. It's inside the stories of an oral tradition are all the codes and protocols of a society. Any one of our stories can be opened like a flower. And inside it, there's reasons for different trees, different animals, different people. And those are what the codes are that talk about the, uh, talk about the nation. They were set there. People who know the codes know the stories. People who don't know the codes just think they're nice stories. But that's what oral tradition is. The stories carry the codes so that the people will know how to live and how to react in situations. You know, the story I'm going to tell is very simple. It's very short. It's an old story that's several hundred years old. But when you listen to it, it sounds very, very modern. And that's the way good stories are. They're ageless. 
the codes are ageless also. So I'll just sing off mic that I'll bring the story. She was young, she was beautiful, and she was very cunning. She walked barefoot in the forest and she asked this question to the first man that she met. She asked him, do you know how to make a tikanagan? The baby carrier that women carry on their backs. The man said no. So she continued. She was young. She was beautiful. She was very cunning. She was walking barefoot in the forest and she asked this question to the second man she met. She said, do you know how to make a tikanagan, the baby carrier? The man said, yes. She said, oh, when will you start? But the man said, I don't know. So she kept walking. She was young. She was beautiful. She was very cunning. She was walking barefoot in the forest, and she asked this question to the third man that she met. She said, hey, do you know how to make a tikanagan? The man said, yes. She says, when will you start? The man looked at her and says, well, I'll start immediately. She liked him. She stayed. Now just imagine. Thank you very much for that, Robert. Okay, so if people want to learn more about you and your work, your culture, where can they go? What, what can they look up? Where can they find you? Well, I'm a, a modern old guy. I'm on Facebook. It's Robert Seven Crows, uh, dot Bourdon, And on there I put a lot of music. I put a lot of different things that's happening in the native world around us. So people come and visit. Great, okay, you've got your invitation there. And I'll put a link in the show notes. Thanks very much for listening. See you next time. Thank you.